Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to Biju, the global leader of digital core transformation at Hexaware. And we discuss the process of optimization, modernization, and transformation of a business. Building empathy in engineers by having them think like consultants, and the importance of leading with example as a leader. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Uh, I started my career uh, like 20, 24 years back. So right out of college, I joined as a software developer. And I've been doing uh, a lot of things, right? Uh, developer, architect, uh, project manager or a program manager type thing. So typically what you see in an IT services firm. So the first 10 years of my career, uh, I was doing a lot of these roles, uh, also managing customers, uh, their expectations, uh, and also managing some of the aspects around building business uh, in the services firm, right? Uh, Right after like 10 years, I thought, okay, let me switch over to a different role. And obviously, one of the key things that kept me interested is this whole thing around how technology can be transmitted, right, in many scenarios, right? Um, and uh, I wanted to really explore that and see how do I kind of grow into an, a role where I can actually drive uh, the transmission using technology. Um, and I stepped into a, a, a role where I started being part of the technology labs uh, right uh, after 10 years of doing a lot of things, but then started off again with being a developer, playing with uh, emerging technologies as they come. Right, it's always cool uh, right in the start, but uh, what I also realized is if I play with technology, I have to make it count for the business. Right, it should in some way or form serve purpose, and uh, that's something that's an early realization I started seeing. How do we kind of bring convergence where technology itself can be a game changer uh, and be addressing practical problems, right? Um, and that's where uh, within my early stages, we are also trying to incubate ventures, so to speak, uh, where we were trying to take up an idea within a services firm, but then create them as uh, startup ideas, pitch to uh, the leadership to get funding. So my journey has been uh, right from a developer going into some software management and then stepping back to be a developer again, and then uh, going and doing some startup type uh, thing, creating platforms and solutions. Uh, In Hexaware, today I play the role of of, uh, the leader for the digital code transformation. And uh, this team actually looks at how do you use technology to modernize um, some of the core IT systems uh, within our customers? And I think we'll be talking more about how this is very, very much required for now, right? And why this is going to become relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you be able to tell me a little bit about how did you get involved with Hexaware originally? Um, like, how did you first hear about them and what really drew you to the role? Right. So I knew Hexaware being, it's been, uh, Hexaware has been around for like 20 plus years. And um, one of the key things is, I think the people and the culture 
that they bring uh, is something that's really attracted me. And while I started engaging with a lot of the leadership team within Exavet, something that stood out for me was the vision that Exavet had. Uh, in fact, uh, the key things that they've been talking about is uh, how they pivoted towards automating everything, moving all their customers to the cloud, and also about transforming customer experience. This is something that they've been doing for the past four or five years, right? So that vision has been in place. And some of the key elements is around how uh, they are actually using people and technology to spread smiles, right? That's something as a vision that they have created. And it's all about passionate people uh, driving a lot of change for our customers. So I think a lot of that has actually kind of attracted me to saying, okay, this is the right place for me to kind of start a, a different set of my career. Man, I love that mission statement, spreading smiles. That's so good. Um, so can you share with me like a, a brief overview of what Hexware actually does? Sure. Hexware is into IT services and consulting. And we have uh, uh, services that are provided across all the different domains, banking, financial services. We also do um, high-tech uh, and professional services, retail, uh, manufacturing and consumer goods. So across different uh, industry domains. And one of the key things that Hexaware is moving towards is uh, trying to create a platform-led way of uh, driving the business. Right. Uh, so there are three major platforms that Hexaware is pivoting towards. Uh, one is called Amaze, and Amaze primarily kind of focuses on taking customers automatically to the cloud. So a lot of times you're seeing today when you have applications, then you basically have to move them to the cloud. Uh, a lot of times it becomes a bespoke process, but uh, Hexaware is pivoting towards a platform-led way of driving that whole journey right to the cloud using uh, a platform that they have as MAs. Similarly, in the, in the transformed customer experience is the second dimension. There, uh, they have Mobiquity as one of the key levers that they're using um, to kind of help customers uh, reimagine their business right uh, in the new world. And the last one is around how once you've done the transform to the cloud or you've done the reimagine the business, you need to keep them up and running, right? Keep the lights on. So that is actually driven through the Tensai platform that uh, Hexaware. So one thing that I'm seeing different from a lot of the other IT services firms that are there is they are actually focusing on a platform-led way of driving the business as they go forward. That's really cool. So I saw on your website, a couple of your like company's official strategies are automate everything and cloudify everything. And that sounds like a very complex task with the word everything in it. And I'm, I'm just curious, how do you manage the complexity of when you're working with like a larger organization and there's so much to handle? Right. I, I think the, the key thing in, in that whole everything statement is the reflection of the passion that we want, where we uh, want to leverage automation as the, the first step forward. So when we engage with our customers in any of the, uh, the pursuits that we have, 
the first thing that we look at is um, can we automate certain tasks, right? So be it uh, in the application development area or even the testing or any of the other services that we provide, automation becomes uh, something that absolutely has to be a part of that program, right? So obviously we can't automate all the tasks. It's about uh, that passion and that focus in a lot of our engagements to drive automation as a key lever. And the Cloudify part is more towards, it's something that we're seeing, right? Today, in a lot of cases, the innovation happens faster on the cloud, right? And a lot of times today, if you look at cost and uh, maybe any of the other levers, uh, if you basically move to the cloud, you're able to kind of uh, leverage one best-in-class services, but also drive down the cost uh, in, a, in a big way. So this becomes a, a strategy for us uh, where we think customers will surely want to move to the cloud. We are actually providing the segue by creating those architectures and patterns which allows them to be cloud ready, right, to start with, but also um, move them quickly to the cloud as and when this is required. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the digital transformation process, like in practice, uh, because I, I saw in some of your other company materials that like the three main steps are optimization, modernization, and then transformation. Um, and so I'm just curious, let, let's start with optimization. What does it mean to be well optimized for digital transformation? Sure. Uh, I'll take a step back because one thing that I want to talk about is uh, what is really happening today uh, in terms of digital transformation. So one thing that we're seeing today is the, the pandemic or the post-pandemic. I don't know if you can say post-pandemic yet, but uh, as part of the pandemic, one thing that we're seeing today is... Uh, uh, everything is online, and obviously that also means that a lot of the businesses are requesting for a lot more of those digital services to be available. So indirectly, it is actually pushing up the number of digital projects that are actually being requested, right? And also means indirectly, it is also pushing up the digital transformation um, in, in a big way. And um, essentially... A lot of times when you um, uh, set up sets the set the stage for digital transformation, important thing that you need to do is to see if um, your organization and whatever you have as IT services are ready for it, right? And and uh, basically it could be resulting from a lot of money that you're spending today on uh, IT services which are not ready for this age and time, right? For digital services. And uh, and basically, we continue doing that because we are saying, okay, we don't have the money to invest, to change. But that also, if you really look at it, it is push, pulling you back in terms of actually doing digital transformation. So optimization as a first step requires you to understand your landscape of what you have within the organization. Um, understand which parts of these systems are ready for your digital journey and which are the ones which are actually pulling you back, right? And some of this also over a period of time, I think you would have seen in many organizations, the, the digital um, uh, projects or the platforms that they are, the platforms that they have, not the digital ones, the non-digital ones are basically um, not uh, even being used, right? There's no usage of that. They are just lying there. They just serve a small part of the business. 
So optimization allows you to one, start by getting ready for the transmission journey, rationalizing uh, the set of uh, services and applications that you have, right? And setting the stage for um, uh, what you want to say, right? You save the money, gets you the money back to the business um, to see if they can actually use it for digital projects, right? But also the, the key thing is, it's always about creating a roadmap, right? So when you look at digital transformation, uh, if you look at it in a, in a short-sighted way, you might say, okay, I will just start by transforming my front-end, right? I will just transform my mobile application. I will have some web application created, right? So transform the front-end is the first step that you take. Uh, but does that really help in the longer run? Because your web applications have to talk to your backend systems. Uh, and essentially, if the and, and a lot of times you've seen this, right? So you open the floodgates, right? Using your front door, you open up, you have a nice fancy uh, thing where the request starts coming in, but your backend systems and your processes or operational systems don't really catch up or are not able to serve to what those expectations are, right? So op optimization is the first step where one, you start rationalizing, you see fitment for use, fitment for purpose, right? And then set the stage for uh, the transformation itself. So, yeah, so optimization, the biggest part of it is setting the strategy and roadmap for going forward and setting yourself up right. for success. So what are, it when you're looking at the roadmaps, maybe if a company put together their own roadmap, what is like right. a common mistake that you see? See, a lot of times, um, so it, it is about reacting to the market, right? A lot of times when we talk to customers and review their uh, the roadmap, uh, most, of, most of the times it is about, uh, you know what, uh, we, uh, we need to set up this customer interface where uh, users want to have a nice looking website or a mobile application, right? That is the, the purpose statement that is actually defined. But uh, they don't follow it through to say how that experience element uh, will be served. So does it mean it is just a nice looking website? Do I look at whether my services will be delivered in a shorter time? Right. So if I say uh, if it is creating a policy, right? Now, a lot of times digital transformation is about the, uh, the competition between the traditional companies and the new age companies. The new age companies who are doing it greenfield um, are actually thinking about delivering products and services in real time, right? So if you want a policy, as and when you enter the details, you click the button, boom, the policy is available to you, right? But in a lot of other cases, you start by saying, okay, I want to transform. It's a nice looking front office that I set up for my customers. But then once they finish that process, the underlying systems that are behind the scenes will take forever, right? will take the traditional one week, two weeks to actually serve and then deliver uh, it to the customer. So it is about synergizing uh, the different uh, layers that you have and the services. I think that is a definite gap, right? So while the experience part of it is being defined, the, it is also not being followed through to say how will that service be delivered right in real time or how is that experience going to be changing overall 
right, for the customers. So that is one uh, area. But the other thing is, a lot of times, this also is not looked at uh, holistically over a period of time. Saying, how do I create the roadmap, which is just not for the next six to eight months or 12 months? What happens in that case is you are always trying to, it's like uh, after six months, again, you are course corrected. Right? You don't know what you have to do next. What is the next set of things that I have to change? And a lot of times, businesses are very uh, complex. It is not that what you have built over many years, uh, the inherent processes and systems are complex. So you need to have a plan in place which basically allows you to drive uh, the change right? in a sequential and a planned manner. Right? So some of the challenges... Uh, I'm sure there are many more, but common mistakes that people do is one, not looking at it holistically of serving um, the experience um, to the end customer. The second part is creating a plan which is more holistic, considering all the parts, um, right, rather than just the front office uh, kind of a thing, right, or piecemeal approach. Right. So I think to to summarize, to make sure I understand, a, a lot of the time you see roadmaps that are just generally short-sighted, whether it's only thinking about the front end and doing the bare minimum or not thinking long-term enough with their planning. Okay, Okay, cool. So let's talk a little bit about modernization. Once a company is well-optimized, what what is the modernization process? And one thing that I really want to clear up for myself is how is modernization different from transformation? Right. See, a lot of, uh, yeah, so uh, the key thing is once you uh, basically set the stage um, and have a roadmap of how you go, want to go about doing it, uh, the key thing is the modernization uh, is about your, the, your different parts of your system that needs to be upgraded or updated, uh, right? So obviously you need to know what is that you need to, how do you approach it? Meaning, do I kind of rewrite it? Do I look at um, a SaaS platform that I can bring in um, essentially to basically fill in that particular function? Um, Should I look at uh, some of the other cloud services um, that I can can leverage, right? So what exactly um, are the, so one is to map out different functions, but then say, what is the right fitment for that function? Should I do a rewrite? Should I do a, a rehost? Should I do some kind of a refactor? Or should I bring in something like a SaaS environment or a platform to basically serve that uh, particular function? Right? Uh, so creating a unified strategy of how you will go about uh, modernizing your different parts of your system is the next step. Right? Uh, while you uh, and and the difference is um, see typically uh, here you are trying to just bring in um, some level of agility in whatever you want to do as you move forward right modernization is about bringing a level of agility into your systems so that uh, one they can work seamlessly with each other and the other thing is whatever you had as a lot of legacy debt Right? This could be in the form of uh, maybe mainframe systems. 
right? Which is again uh, sapping up a lot of cost. Skills are not available, so there's a lot of risk that you actually accumulate with legacy systems. So how do you reduce risk? Is a core agenda for the modernization. The second thing is a lot of these systems are not talking to each other, right? Um, so that also means that uh, there are uh, these are walled gardens that are created. So how do I make those systems start synergizing and talking to each other, right? To improve agility, right? That is also the second part of what you will achieve with a lot of the modernization um, levers. And the last part of it is how do you holistically plan the roadmap, right? So we talked about while you do optimization, you create some kind of a roadmap of uh, what needs to be done. So this is about how do you typically address? So you can't blindly go about taking a SaaS platform or any other thing and just plugging it. So there should be some way that this needs to synergize into a whole that you will, again, setting the stage for the transformation. So as a business, if I say that uh, in the transmission stage, uh, I will need my um, services to be available as APIs to the external world. My strategy is to uh, have consumable APIs for others to leverage, right? And uh, I would uh, see the B2B channel as the one that will take me forward. So if that is a vision that I have for transmission, then I need to set those elements accordingly. Right? What are the technologies that I leverage to do this? What kind of integration platforms will I use um, right, to basically make this happen? Uh, how do I uh, define security of whatever I'm actually providing as a service? So all those dimensions come into play while integrating the different parts of the system, right? which is actually setting you for the transformation stage of the journey. Got it. So it's it's about planning and executing on what hardware and software tools you need to upgrade in order to support your transformation strategy. Right. Okay. Right. Awesome. No, it's, it's because it's just not uh, uh, the, there are different pieces here, right? So it is just not the the hardware and the software that comes into play. Uh, it is also uh, because this also leans into uh, things like uh, what is your business strategy, right? What are you trying to achieve as you go forward into your transformation? So there is a little bit of a top-down element of how you go about defining your business. How do you want to take it forward? So those elements around architecture, design, all those aspects come in. But to your to your point, yes. It is about how you define your software, your applications, your platforms, right? Um, and, and then the underlying hardware, whether they are in, in, the, in the cloud, in the data center, how do they talk to each other, right? All those elements come together. Awesome. So you're, you're set up, you're optimized, you're modernized. What right. does it look like now that you're in the transformation process? So I think... Uh, so you have done all the good work, right? So obviously optimize, modernize, you've actually set the stage. Now, transformation is a, is a place where uh, you are uh, truly setting the stage for scale-up, right? So obviously one of the key things is uh, as a business, 
you're trying to say that uh, how do i scale my business how do i kind of create the the next uh, big unicorn type of a uh, vision right for most companies uh, now that also means that uh, you need to look at how you are integrating with the larger ecosystem that is there so today if you look at um, is a, a business like a e-commerce uh, is it uh, e-commerce in a headless way because a lot of the e-commerce setups today are moving headless right it doesn't matter whether you are uh, uh, you are on the web you are on the mobile but also different channels right any channel can be a, a relevant channel it could be a smart tv it could be uh, maybe a voice based interface right so obviously uh, how do you scale your business will depend on how accessible is whatever you're trying to do right uh, as a business the second part of it and which is again early days for many businesses is this whole area around data monetization right so today you look at services services monetization or api monetization as a key lever that uh, which actually scales your business out into those different channels but the second dimension of it is your data itself can be a first class strategy for you to take forward so this also means that the level of maturity that is required your services layer opening up operating in a headless way is one level of maturity but then opening up your data data systems and data monetization is a separate level of maturity as a uh, as a architect architecture or how you go about doing transmission i think some of these levers where you as a business start giving the power back to the ecosystem right where your services and your data is something is a first class um, citizen and can bring you back revenue is a transmission that you're seeing in in many businesses and then typically uh, the the internet giants uh, they have been doing this for ages it's not that it's not there's no live examples right of how data monetization is being done um, there are examples there but uh, for a lot of the other businesses right in the in the traditional world i think this is a real possibility now with cloud and a lot of the other things that we're doing in the modernization phase this is going to set the stage for them to become uh, like the internet companies right like the facebooks or the the googles of the world right every one of these businesses have an opportunity to scale yeah every company is a tech company that's what they say right everything is a platform yeah, yeah. what do you say this so every uh, business is now becoming a platform right uh, meaning everything is a platform driven way of doing it right everything everything is kind of uberized or whatever you want to say right the experience is so thing that uh, everything is platform driven yes platform driven subscriptions never buying anything right. full like with a full price up front <laughs> yeah 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 all those models yeah i think uh, i think that is something that in today's age and world the world and age i think the the key thing is uh, as a company maybe the dreams are already there right lot of lot of the traditional companies want to get there faster right but uh, it's a journey right uh, it also means that your platforms and whatever you have is the core it systems have to mature to that level to be able to achieve that uh, scale right that you're talking about 
So I feel like we've covered pretty well how existing, more traditional companies need to go about their transformations. If a technologist is starting a company today, what are some of the key steps they can take so that they can evolve naturally with the technology technology landscape and not have to go through a transformation process down the line? And what I said earlier, right? So I think uh, a lot of times um, when you're starting fresh, uh, today uh, it's like a Lego block, right? Uh, so you are actually naturally protected from uh, a lot of the mistakes that you will do because uh, today when I want to stand up a business, a uh, lot of the services that I use today are from the club, right? Or most of it is on the club, right? I start by building my business on the club. So a lot of the challenges that people traditionally had in terms of scale, in terms of uh, building up a business, uh, right, with a lot of money up front, all those things are out. So obviously you have the leverage of using the best technologies that come to life and then you can put it all together up front. But I think there's also a downside to this because today there's a lot of technology. Right. So even when you want to do something, uh, if you want to build a business or you want to do your choices, you're spoiled for choices. Right. In terms of what do you have as fast services, what you have as different cloud service providers. Uh, and also the same problem can be solved in 10 different ways. Right. As a business. So it becomes important for you to one get into this mode of uh, understanding the landscape of what you're trying to address, uh, right? Because a lot of times you see that uh, as young developers, uh, they have a lot of curiosity. They, they like technology, right? They just want it's a shiny object. And this is something that I've also noticed with a lot of technology people. They want to take their first shiny toy, try and do something with it, right? Which is good. It, it actually serves purpose in terms of curiosity. But a lot of times, if you can think of it in terms of the larger landscape of whatever you're building, how does your customer perceive whatever you're building? What are the business viability of uh, the cost versus performance of whatever you're trying to do? Build those elements right in the beginning of whatever you're planning, right? And uh, sometimes when you when you do the, the VC funding and a lot of those things, those validations happens automatically. Right? But as a developer, as a person who wants to start up on a new journey, some of these things, if you can do it upfront, understanding the larger landscape, understanding the risk element in whatever your choices are. And a lot of times you don't have to wait for building out the entire thing. It is about failing fast. So obviously, uh, testing out that the hypothesis around what are those risks right, uh, becomes the key aspect. And the last, uh, or the other thing is, in many cases, it is about also collaborating with many peers. And today, I see that technologists are very passionate. They communicate uh, passionately about their idea. Uh, they talk, if you ask them to talk about the technology, how did you go about solve the problem? They'll communicate very, very fluidly, talking for hours on what they did and how they did it. But they are, uh, they lack one aspect is around collaboration, right? Effect effectively talking about or collaborating with different people. 
and understanding the dynamics of what you're trying to do. Uh, so some of the dimensions of what you should look at, right? While you take a problem and then translate it into uh, a business, right? I'm sure there are others, but some of the key things at the top of my mind that I could bring out. That's awesome. It sounds like you think a lot about uh, bringing up the next generation of technologists. Right, right. Yeah, I've, I've been working with uh, a lot of the technology architects um, right uh, uh, through my career. And uh, it's been always, uh, I would say these are the nice guys, right? All the, the technology guys are, not that the others are bad, but these are all guys who are very honest, very nice, right? But also that actually sets them back a little bit. Uh, some of them also are like, uh, have this uh, wolf uh, pack mentality, right? They only work with people of their own types, right? They will not, they are, they're always that tribe mentality element is there, um, which actually at some point actually limits them to be successful as a, maybe an entrepreneur, right? Because they will not be able to um, capture some of these things around emotional intelligence or uh, kind of sensing different dimensions of the problem, right? That is something that I, I'm thinking that uh, as technologists, you need to also develop a lot more of the softer side of the problem, right? About uh, emotional intelligence and uh, also thinking about other people's viewpoints, right? Uh, just like architectural viewpoints, I think uh, a lot of people are uh, very, very single dimensional in uh, in whatever they do. Uh, they don't actually go and sit across the board and other side and see from a different viewpoint. So some of those dimensions will help actually for these budding technologists to kind of at least uh, translate their potential right at a faster pace. Obviously, there are born entrepreneurs, right, uh, who are and then inherently have that gift of uh, doing things. But this is, I'm saying, for the, the general uh, thing, right? But the larger population of technologists, I think that is something that they can actually work on. So do you have any like programs in place at Hexware to help your engineers build their emotional intelligence and empathy? Right. It's something that is in works. I used to do this. So it used to be called as coder to consultant, right? Um, so see, it is very difficult for us to train people on the job, right? Until unless you create some kind of simulation. So the coder to consultant, that uh, program that uh, what I've designed is more like a simulation. So people generally have, I mean, if you actually put them in a particular situational context, the general muscle movement is what they go about doing it, right? They automatically shift to their um, uh, reflexes or whatever. So if you put them into tight situations where they are asked to think uh, and act, right? That's where they actually start uh, demonstrating that they are good developers. Um, and that means they have a lot of curiosity. They have grit and determination in solving problems. They, they are passionate about communicating and uh, right. they have a lot of attention to detail. So they show all those characteristics, right? Being modest, uh, showing this wolf pack mentality. Uh, but being a consultant is about the larger picture. So the 
the idea of the simulation is to actually bring out those traits which are uh, what they generally show on 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 uh, on the work right their muscle movement uh, default muscle movement and then we actually uh, throw a light to show how this could have been done differently uh, in the simulation right so this gives them a perspective of uh, what are those and i'm not saying as a consultant you don't code right the coder to consultant doesn't mean as once you step over to consultant you don't code uh, but the the thought process is that uh, as a consultant you start seeing the broader picture and start connecting the dots right uh, and then that results in a lot more of the transformation that you want to drive right in the future that's that's really cool the, i love the coder to consultant mindset there so when you're hiring new talent when like when you're in an interview with someone how do you kind of gauge their level of well-roundedness right i think the the uh, important thing is uh, see the one hour interview it is always difficult and i always feel that it is uh, it is a very difficult means a lot of times you have seven or eight rounds of interviews right where you put uh, the person through different people they get different contexts and understanding so one is we have those different levels of interviews where we uh, start um, kind of probing them on all different dimensions so that is one but i think the most important thing for me is if you actually throw in a problem right um, the approach that you take whether you start by immediately solving the problem versus you start understanding the problem you ask questions right you understand the context of uh, what is required that basically says that you are not just in the box thinker but uh, you are always putting yourself outside the context right uh, outside the box you are looking at different dimensions looking through different lenses so to speak right uh and then you start approaching the problem that gives me a perspective that this person uh, is started on the journey and uh, many times i think if you have actually gone through the journey where you try to do a startup you failed failure is your best lessons right that you've learned and most people who have gone through that journey actually start thinking differently from right uh, means you don't just jump in into just starting to do versus uh, taking a step back and thinking through it right that becomes a it's more of a mindset thing i would say it's uh, no silver bullet there but it's more of a mindset uh, and uh, i think uh, it is just for us to see how well rounded are you right so yeah it's some of it is experience some of it is some innate approach that you have right and how you approach these problems all right so i, I want to put you on the spot a little bit here What's like a, a an early failure from your career that you really learned from and has stuck with you? Like the the lesson has stuck with you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, obviously there's been many uh, failures. Uh, but uh, I was actually trying to do something like a startup of my own, right? Um and uh, I had a brilliant idea and I thought it was brilliant. So, <laughs> not that other thought too but uh, i thought it was a fantastic idea and i sat down and then started building up on uh, this right on doing that whole thing of uh, doing the technology pieces developing 
talking to some of the angel investors uh, on on what is required and stuff like that. Though I think some of them, I think a lot of times people give you a patient hearing and they say, yeah, good, right? But what I realized is uh, while doing all this, I was actually not networking enough, right, with a lot more people to understand or gain a lot more perspective. So being a, a technologist, you want to sit in and sit in your room, uh, hack away on technology, do some work. Right, be excited about that. Uh, maybe talk to a few people, but at the same time, if you don't collect those different perspectives, even if it is bad reviews that you get, and a lot of times I realize that criticism, the people who criticize you, are your best friends because they are the ones who are actually providing you with a lot of feedback. Right, the ones that actually are just giving you a, a, a good. Uh, a feel feel good factor they don't allow you to grow right so one thing that i realized in all that is as a as an entrepreneur or for that matter um, as a as a leader it becomes important for you to network uh, collaborate uh, talk to a lot more stakeholders to get that perspective while you're trying to tackle these problems right and that becomes a key part for your success uh, right and uh, and i'm sure uh, it is just not with your uh, with your peers it is just not with uh, people uh, who you report into not your senior leaders i think it is a 360 degree way of asking people for feedback right and understanding perspective and some of the best i would say in my career the best uh, advice or the best uh, ideas have come from people who are much younger right and i felt that uh, maybe as you get the more experience you gain you more narrow you become right in terms of your thought process and the younger ones are the ones who really have the great ideas of the spark but i would say the one big thing is this whole thing around networking and getting feedback in whatever you're doing uh, is important because that gives you a lot of perspective uh, in a 360 degrees way right Yeah, and I think that also ties into the power of having a really diverse team as well and making sure you're getting when you're getting that 360 degree feedback you're getting lots of different perspectives um because as you're saying with younger people thinking differently you just you want all all sorts of people thinking differently on your team so that you can really get a holistic view of whatever you're working on. Sure. So yeah. I want to talk a little bit about um like your uh, approach to leadership and and how you're doing now in uh, in your leadership role at Hexaware. Um so recently I was talking to this guy Eric Newcomer. He's the CTO of a company called WSO2 and sure. man they're pretty cool. Uh they make this like really high-tech integration platform called Corio that like helps you with lots of different integrations but anyway he was talking about how it's really important to be comfortable being uncomfortable in your career which is something you hear all the time but is still really really impactful i think and so i was it just kind of inspired me to start asking the question of how are you pushing the boundaries of where you feel comfortable today what are you what are you working on in that respect i i i think uh, see a lot of times leadership 
is uh, perceived as uh, a position that you've gained. It is an entitlement uh, to some privileges. Uh, in fact, uh, today, if you look at leadership, uh, there is this whole area around or concept around servant leadership, right? You serve the people with you, uh, right, to achieve whatever it is. So day in, day out, it, uh, as a leader, it becomes important that you demonstrate um, what you actually are talking about, right? So it is not that you expect people under you to do a certain set of tasks and you're just sitting there um, uh, kind of uh, asking them to do it, reviewing their work or uh, just giving them feedback. You need to step down and then work along with them, right? So that is one perspective that I think is very important for me, right, as a leader. So one is to work along with every other person in the group, wherever possible, picking up tasks, working along with them. That is one part. Uh, the second part of it is how do you um, learn newer things, right? Um, what are the newer areas that you are actually focusing on? becomes a key aspect as a leader today. So it is not that uh, you have gained a lot of experience that is only going to serve you so much, right? What are the new areas that you are constantly working on, right? How are you imparting that knowledge? And it's about today, a lot of the work that we do across the board is one is that you learn, you impart that knowledge to other people, but you also step in and uh, learn from them, right? So today I learn a lot more from my team where they actually impart a lot more knowledge to me. So understanding that, that the ecosystem and how that learning becomes a key dimension is the second part of it. And the third thing is, um, I think a lot of times uh, people, people have this whole thing around fear of failure, I think, right? Uh, so what happens uh, if I fail? Uh, and it is important uh, as a leader to basically take that out of the equation and tell the, the team members that even I will fail, right? Meaning show that even I'm failing in a lot of things. So it's okay, right? And I'm pretty open um, talking to, if, if I do a mistake or if I have a failure, I would want to talk about it. Right, and then say that uh, that is something that the team also learns because they also then start being open about failure, right, and then moving forward, right. So some of the key things I think as a leader in the current age that you should go about doing, uh, right, to at least inspire your team and take them along to the next generation, right. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, people talk about trying to create a culture of having your employees feel comfortable sharing about their failures. But, you know, I don't think I actually hear people often say that they like sharing their own failures, uh, which I, I think is just so important to creating that open culture because as you're talking about, it's you have to lead by example, obviously, and that's got to be the best way to, to do it. So let's go back to early on in your career. You're moving, the first time you moved from software developer to manager. What was like right. one of the biggest lessons you learned early on? 
Right. Um, so I, I know the IT services uh, thing, uh, you will see that uh, most of the, the management part of it is uh, uh, about scale. You start managing more people, more projects type thing. So how much time can you kind of devote to uh, different projects and the attention to detail that you can bring to bear? Uh, I think that was a key aspect for success, right? So one of the key things that I've learned is as you, as you have a larger um, set of responsibilities, uh, you generally tend to kind of uh, either uh, not spend too much time or not get into a lot of details, uh, right? And you abstract out. So one of the key lessons for me in, in that whole journey from a developer to a manager is how do you go about continuing to have a level of detail uh, and being a little bit hands-on on whatever you're doing is important for the success. Because two things, one is uh, it also shows the, the developer that uh, this person is just not a manager. He will also step in and help me uh, do whatever, right? Development or whatever, right? So that he will come in and help. But at the same time, you also need that span, right? Uh, that you need to be able to control multiple things, right? But uh, kind of uh, managing your priorities and then being a little bit detail-oriented uh, is something that I've said is kind of important to be successful, right? Moving from a developer to a manager. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.